I'm, a, I'm very excited for the next 11 weeks. The series that we're starting into, that we're beginning today, I, I think will be very helpful for all of us. That's my goal, my, my intent as I prepared this series is I, I wanted to do something very practical. And so every week throughout the series, I'm going to be talking about resources. I'm going to be talking about tangible ways for you to apply what we are going to be talking about. And, and I think if you will engage in these things, that it really will provide spiritual growth for you individually. And if we as a church are engaging with these things together, it's going to provide growth for the whole church body. And so I'm very excited for what the Lord is going to do through this time. The title of the series that we are starting today is Devoted. Devoted. This is what we're going to be talking about for the next 11 weeks is the idea of spiritual disciplines. Now, there are, are several key texts that we could go to as kind of overarching verses that would give direction to this entire series and where we're going to head and why we're going to talk about this over the next several weeks. One of my favorite biblical texts, kind of a, a, I've described it as a banner verse for my ministry. It's a verse I'm often praying over you, the, the Christians that I'm responsible for making disciples of. I pray with the words of Peter in his second epistle. He says, in chapter 3, verse 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. This, this is the, the prayer I'm praying for you, that you would be obedient to this command, that God would be gracious enough to cause you to be able to be obedient to this command, because that's what this is here. This is not a suggestion. This is not Peter saying to Christians, hey, if you're on this track, or this is your life experience, or, or you're in this group over here, you guys should grow, and other group, you've got a different command. No, this is a command to all of us who've named the name of Christ. He says to us, we should be growing. This is what God intends for us as Christian people. We're not saved to just coast along until our deaths, holding on to our little get-out-of-hell-free hell card. We have been saved and redeemed and called to a mission and for a purpose, which Peter says here is that we would be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior. This Greek word that is translated here as grow so I was doing some study on this. I was noting that there's a, there's a grammatical connection here to another word that's really important. Sometimes this word's even translated this way as flourish. And I like that connection a lot because that's what healthy growth really is, isn't it? It's something flourishing. So the plants that you and I value the most in our garden or in our homes are the ones that are flourishing, Right? We don't really care so much about the ones that die off. Those don't really do much for us, right? We want the ones that are bearing good results, that are fulfilling the purpose that they have, whether that be to be aesthetically pleasing in our home or to bear produce for us in the garden. We want those type of plants. We want the ones that flourish. And that's what Peter has in mind for us when he commands that we as Christians should be pursuing growing. He's saying we should be pursuing flourishing in our lives, to bear good results in our lives, to be fulfilling the purpose that God has given us as his people here upon this earth. And so for you and I to flourish is the goal of this series, and that's why I have subtitled the series the way I have too. If you can read it on the screen in the fancy font that Malia chose for us, it says, Finding Joy in the Spiritual Disciplines. This whole series, what, I'm, what I want to talk about for the next 11 weeks with you is how you can engage in the spiritual disciplines and find joy in the process and the results that that would bring you. 
that you would flourish in your life as a Christian. A healthy, mature, flourishing Christian should be a person of joy. And as I say that, I, I always want to kind of come right along, say that, uh, to st- aside that and say, joy is not the same thing as just happiness, right? It's not just warm feelings. Joy is not just satisfaction. It's not just pleasure. Happiness is the result of circumstances. Happiness comes when we receive a really great Christmas present. Happiness comes when we get a bonus from work. Happiness comes when we receive the recognition that we're longing for. Happiness comes when things are are going well in our lives, but happiness is not usually the emotional response that you and I have when our bank accounts are low. Happiness is not usually what people feel when we know that someone we care about is mad at us and there's relational tension. We're not usually happy in those moments. And I don't know anybody who feels really happiness as their emotion when they face something tragic, like an unexpected death. Happiness is a result of circumstances, but joy is a deeper thing. Joy is something that can actually be present in hard times and in trials and even in times of suffering. Joy is the result of understanding and thinking about the gospel and the results of God's work for us. And the reason joy can be produced as we think about the gospel is because the gospel does not change when our circumstances change. It is just as true, just as much good news when things are good for us as that is when things are bad for us. Joy could be present even when your finances are stressful because the gospel tells you your spiritual debt has been paid. Joy could be present when people are upset with you or disappointed in you or even when people hate you because you have peace with God. He is loving towards his people in Christ. His anger has been appeased. He delights in you as his child. Joy can be experienced even when we face death. The gospel tells us that our God is the God who is sovereign over all life and all death. And his decree, his actions are always good. And even when you and I can't see the reasons, even when we're feeling grief and loss and sadness, we can know that God is working all things together for his glory and the good of his people. And we can have joy even in the midst of tears if we trust him. So if this is what joy is, it's why we can read really direct and straightforward commands to Christians. Not not telling us just how to feel, but how to internally respond to the gospel. We can read like Philippians 4.4 where we're told, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice is us expressing the joy that should be internally within us as Christians. And he says to do that Always, no matter the changing circumstances, no matter the emotions of the moment, we as Christians can live with joy and even express our joy in times of sorrow and suffering and trials if we are constantly coming back to reminding ourselves of proclaiming the reality of the gospel that is unshakable no matter what's happening around us. As you and I, as we mature in Christ, as we really begin to flourish in our identities as Christians, we'll find that joy begins to permeate and mark our lives more and more. Christian people are joyful people if we understand and apply the gospel in our lives. And so what I want us to to understand as we get ready to talk about spiritual disciplines is, is we need to understand this is the whole purpose of spiritual disciplines, leading us towards flourishing, leading us towards joy, and you need to get that heading into them 
or you will not rightly use the things we are going to talk about in the coming weeks. Get this, get this down. Maybe you're, if you want to take a note or snap a picture of the screen, here's what I want you to understand. The spiritual disciplines help us aim for joy in our lives as Christians. That's what, why we're talking about this now in the start of the year, as I know some people like to, to kind of evaluate. What am I going to aim for this year? What are some goals I'm going to set for myself? Resolutions, things I want to change, things I want to accomplish. The goal of spiritual disciplines is that you would have joy in your life as a Christian. And so I want you to get that. So as we're talking about them and as I'm encouraging you to engage in these things, you're headed towards the right goal. So what are we talking about with the term spiritual disciplines? Where, where am I getting that phrase from? Well, a key text that's often drawn upon is, in terms of this idea, comes from Paul in the letter to Timothy. His first letter he writes, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He tells Timothy, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So this instruction here from Paul is a vivid word picture for you and I about how we're to do what, what Peter said, what we said a few moments ago, to grow, to flourish in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So if we're going to kind of flesh out this word picture from Paul here, you and I, we understand that if we're going to reach a goal of physical fitness, you're going to have to do some work, right? If you want to get in good shape, if you want to lose a little bit of weight, whatever your goals may be in that area, you're going to have to train, you're going to have to do something. You're going to have to eat appropriately. You're going to have to get the right amount of rest. All those things are going to have to happen because, sadly, nobody woke up on Friday, January 1st and was immediately physically fit just because that was a goal, right? <laughs> no. A lot of people woke up thinking, I'm going to get in better shape this year. And you know what that meant on January 1st is, I'm going to have to do some work in 2021. Let's see how this goes by February, right? I think I might have a little bit of a head start on some of you, um, perhaps, because I lost my taste and my smell with COVID. So for several weeks, uh, there's no difference to me between eating spinach and chocolate cake. So I have just, I'm like, well, what's the point? Like, it, you know, I saw the wonderful dessert sitting out here this morning. I'm like, looks wonderful, but I'm not going to be able to taste it. So there's just, I'm not going to eat it. So I'm already ahead of you because I'm just not eating all the tempting things from the holidays because they don't do anything for me. <laughs> very sad. Praying it comes back quickly. <laughs> what Paul is telling us here in this passage, though, is that it's not, we should not just set our minds on physical training. Like, that's a good goal. You should be healthy, long, uh, aim to, to live a life that you can do the things that God has called you to do and be around for people. That, those are great goals, but he says, listen, there's something more important than physical training, and it's your spiritual training. You're going to have to do some spiritual work if you're going to obtain the goal of godliness, or in Peter's language, to, to grow and flourish the way God intends for us to do. So the command here in the ESV that I just read, it says, train yourself for godliness. If, you, if you're familiar with the King James Version of the Bible, maybe you have read this as, exercise thyself unto godliness. Or the New American Standard Bible says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. All these different English words are all pointing to the same reality, right? You get the picture here. It's pretty clear. These are the actions, these are the practices, the disciplines that we need to engage in if we're going to reach the spiritual goal set before us of flourishing and having joy in our lives. So as Christians have read verses like this, they've understood this concept, you'll, you'll find these ideas talked about in, under a, a variety of different names. And if you want to choose a different name for how you think about this in your own mind, that's great. Some people call these spiritual exercises. Some refer to them as just spiritual practices. 
Today you'll find authors talking about these things as sacred rhythms or habits of grace. And all these different names can, can be good things. I like the older generations of Christians, like the Puritans, who would call these things practical piety or experiential religion. But that doesn't make a good series title, I'm told. So we're going to use the most common term today in Protestant churches. For the last 50 years or so, this is what Protestants have typically talked about to refer to this grouping of things that we're going to talk about for the next 11 weeks. They call them spiritual disciplines, habits and things that we will do in order to obtain the goal of flourishing in our Christian lives, of having joy in that flourishing as Christians. And I want us to get that purpose deep in our mind here before we go anywhere in the series because you have to have the right goal in mind if you're going to succeed in these things, right? How many of you have ever tried to learn a skill like playing an instrument? Done that? Okay. I tried very, very hard <laughs> when I was little, but I was doing it simply because I was told to do it. There's a big difference in how I engaged in trying to learn an instrument versus how I tried to learn chess, because I could see a goal in my mind of what I wanted to accomplish with chess. I wanted to win the tournaments that I was going to. So it was a lot easier for me, and I, my heart was a lot more into practicing chess hours and hours and hours a day versus my piano lesson, because I didn't have a goal in mind for that. I was just told you're going to learn how to play and you're going to take lessons. And so I just did those things. And after years of doing all of that, I could not play a single thing on the keyboard today. <laughs> but if you're the kind of person who has a goal in your mind with that, if you have a picture of playing a beautiful piece in Carnegie Hall in front of people, that goal in your mind will lead you to practice hard. Am I right, coach? The people who have a goal in mind, they will work harder to get to the goal. So this is what the point of spiritual disciplines is, that you and I would have the joy of flourishing if that's the goal we have in mind, the things we talk about and the things I want you to begin to implement more and more in your life, they will be, they will be joyful in the process and they will lead to the result that we want to have. So as we're beginning this journey in understanding the spiritual disciplines and living out the command of 2 Peter 3.18 and 1 Timothy 4.7, we need to ensure that we're starting in the right place. And to start in the right place with spiritual disciplines, you have to start with Scripture. The order of the whole rest of this series is not really a listing of priority for you. I'm not trying to make any kind of statement about this spiritual discipline ranks above this spiritual discipline and so forth. When we get to the end, it's not because those are least important. The only thing that matters in terms of priority is right here, starting in the right place with Scripture. This is the most important spiritual discipline that there is. Reading and hearing the Scripture is the most important thing for you and I to engage in. If you don't bring these disciplines back to Scripture constantly in everything that we're doing, you will miss the element of the disciplines that actually produces the result of flourishing in godliness and having joy. If you don't put all of it under Scripture, then what we're talking about here will be no different for you than a self-help book you can go pick up. But what makes us distinctly Christian is that it's all under the rubric of Scripture. This is where we start. This is what informs everything that we are going to do. And the reason we start here is because Jesus himself told us this is where it starts. John 17, 13 through 19 records a prayer of Jesus to the Father for you and I. This is what Jesus says. But now I am coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world that they, my disciples, may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So when the Lord Jesus is praying for us to flourish, for us, if you notice at the start of verse 13 there, he's specifically praised that we would have his joy in us as he's praying for that goal for you and I, he says the means by which that will come is in verse 17 there, that we would be sanctified in the truth. And what does he say is the truth? God's word. God's word is truth. The goal of Jesus' prayer for you and I to have joy and flourish in our Christian life, the goal of that is that we would experience the word at work in us to produce these results. Jesus says these results are developed by the word of God at work in you and I. And so this prayer of Jesus, it's very important. He's communicating an important truth to us through it. It's exactly why he said he even prayed this prayer out loud so his disciples would hear it. It's why he led John to write it down in Holy Scripture so you and I could read it today, that we would understand this is where it starts. To have joy, we must have the word of God at work in us. If you and I are saved by him, if we're citizens of his kingdom, as we talked about last month, if we've been adopted into his family and we're saved because of his grace alone, then Jesus makes it clear. He says several times in the passage, you and I, we're not of this world anymore. And that means the way in which you and I will grow and flourish in godliness is not going to be the worldly means. It's spiritual development that comes from the word of God at work in us. So the work that you and I are called to do in 2 Peter 3.18 and 1 Timothy 4.7, it all starts with the spiritual discipline of reading and hearing the scriptures. And if I can be direct and honest with you, I, I want you to understand if, if all your engagement with the scripture is is just hearing it read and studied on a Sunday morning like this, it's not enough for you to flourish. You are not going to grow and flourish in all of your life if this is the only time you're giving to the Word of God. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that this isn't an important time. It really is. You need to be here. You need to worship together. You need to pray together. You need to hear the Word of God like this every week. And I'm, and I'm praying that when you come in here that God is softening your heart. He is causing you to really hear and to understand and that He was producing growth in these moments every week in your life. But if you are not going out and fighting against the weeds that will grow up during the week, if you're not working the ground during the week and you're just trying it all on this one day in this few hours together that we have, you will not obtain the results of full joy and flourishing in this life that we're aiming for here. You need to be in the Word of God regularly. And so today, what I, what I want to do is, I, I, like I said, I want this to be very practical. So this truth, you've heard me preach to you many times before, and here's what I want to do is kind of bring alongside this truth a, a tool, a resource to help you develop the spiritual discipline of engaging with the Bible regularly. You've heard me say this before, but I hope it starts to sink into your mind. There have been so many generations before us who had literally no access to the Bible in their own language. And it took Christian scholars and pastors being willing to suffer persecution and endure jail and even give their lives to see the Word of God translated into the language you and I can read today. And you and I, we sit here so blessed 
with an overwhelming amount of access to the scriptures. You can read them on your phone, your tablet. You can print copies of them. They're everywhere available, and the tools and resources you have to help you understand the Word of God is simply staggering. Generations before us can't imagine what you and I have available to us. And I mean this truly. Because of that, there's a danger for us. It can be overwhelming the amount of information you have at your fingertips. On my phone, I can pull up my Logos library with over 7,000 books and resources on it. Just on my phone. The amount of information is incredible. And so what that can do for us, I've seen this in countless Christians that I have worked with, is you can go, okay, I want to I get into the Word, I want to do some things, but I don't know where to start. I don't know what to turn to. I just, it's overwhelming, and so you just don't go anywhere. You just sit there overwhelmed, not sure how to take the next step. And so what I want to do is I want to just give you something today that, hear me, it's not the best resource out there. I'm not saying I have produced the one and all resource for you. This is not saying this is the best thing ever, but it's a good resource, and I'm going to put it into your hands today so that you're not overwhelmed. You don't have to figure out where to start. Right here, you're empowered to begin developing the spiritual discipline of engaging with the Word of God regularly. My aim is that we would, all of us in this room, in this church, we would develop a healthy spiritual discipline of regularly and intentionally reading the Word of God. And so how I want to help you do that is that I have created a church Bible reading plan for our church that will start tomorrow morning. This is what the page looks like. If you put it up, there. These pages are sitting printed. They're in actually a very beautiful, crisp color. I was able to uh, print these at the, the district office. They have a really nice printer. And I was like, hey, we sent a lot of money to the, to the district, so I'm going to go around some copies. And it was great. So these beautiful pages are laid out 15 weeks of Bible reading for you. If you go on a little, the next page, you'll give you a little closer look. This is what a day would look like, or a week would look like for you. So you can see there's five readings per week. And I really want you to use this plan because I think there are some benefits to all of us as a church. And, and here's what I want you to, to see with this plan and understand why I'm going to give you this. The first benefit that I think exists with this type of Bible reading plan is this. The plan will give you daily Bible readings for five days a week for the next two years. Now, I know that sounds like a really long time, and the page you get today is just 15 weeks. It's just the first page of this plan, Okay. These readings, though, are formatted this way and spread out over the course of two full years so that the readings are very manageable, even if you've never engaged in Bible reading regularly before. You can do this. Each week has only five days of reading, so that gives you two days per week. If you're good at math, you already got there, right? Seven days, five readings, so you got two days per week to get caught up if you get behind. And it will happen. I guarantee you'll happen. Even if I gave you a month-long plan, you're going to have a day where something comes up. It's going to be that crazy Monday or the Tuesday that you didn't plan for, whatever. You're going to get behind. You're going to need to get caught up. And this plan builds in that to the format. So every week, you have time to get caught up when you need it. The second benefit of doing this, the first is that you're going to have those readings five days a week for the next two years. The second benefit is you're going to read through the entire Bible in an intentional way over the course of these next two years. Okay, I've gotten to, to know many of you, and as some of you have started to kind of share where you are in your spiritual lives, I know the reality is many people in this room have never read the entire Bible. 
And I also know what the Bible says about the Bible. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So what that tells me is that if you've never read some part of Scripture, if you've never heard what God has to say in all of this book that he has given to us, we're incomplete as Christians. We need to hear from him. The whole Bible is useful, even the parts in Leviticus that you're going to struggle to understand why am I reading through all these laws that don't apply to me. Even as you are reading through that, the Bible is useful. All of it, this says, is equally breathed out by God. And so you and I, we need to read it all. And this plan is going to help you. Look, if you've never read through the Bible, there's, not, there's no shame in that. In two years from, to, from tomorrow, you will have done it. There's the goal. It's right there in front of you. It's manageable. You can do this. By the time we have our first sermon in 2023, you'll have read every word of God in the scripture if you engage with this plan. You can do it. I really believe you can do it. The third benefit of this plan is that our church will read together. So it's overwhelming if you're going to go at it alone. But this plan is designed for all of us to engage in. So over the course of two years, you can know the church is reading these verses with me. In fact, if you are on the plan, you'll read John 3 on February 12th, a Friday. And that weekend, when we get together in here to worship, you'll know that people sitting around you have just read the exact same scripture that you read on Friday. And you could have a conversation about that. You could be encouraged by that. You could say, man, I kind of didn't get what was being said over here. What did you see from that, right? This will help encourage you that other people are doing the same thing you're doing. It will bond us all together, give us more opportunities to talk and dialogue around the Word of God throughout the week. There's a fourth benefit I see, and it's this. With this plan in particular, and the way I structured it, is we will gain the insights of reading chronologically. So this plan is a little bit different than just we're going to read X number of chapters per day and work through the Bible front to back. The way I've formatted the plan, I'm hoping, I'm intending to kind of open your eyes to some new insights about the Bible by the way the plan is arranged. So the Bible that you and I have here is arranged in in English by category, by type of book, and then by the size of the book, basically. The chapter and the verse divisions that exist in the Bible, they're not inspired. They're helpful additions that that were put in and made common about 500 years ago. It just makes things easier for us to find and reference them. So the way I've laid out the Bible reading plan, specifically in the Old Testament, you'll see this, and I hope make it more engaging for you as you read through it, is that throughout the course of the year, you're going to read about events, and then you'll read about things written about the events. So for instance, when we get to the Psalms, you're going to read a psalm near the events recorded that it happened. So if you're in the life of David, you're going to read a lot of psalms because David wrote a lot of psalms as things were happening. So you'll see he's betrayed, and this is the thing he's dealing with right here. And here's the psalm he wrote about it, and it'll open your eyes to new meaning in the text of Scripture. The gospel accounts are laid out the same way. You're going to skip around from gospel to gospel, reading of the different accounts of the same events so that you can kind of see how the authors are talking about the same thing. The idea is following the chronology, I think you will get some new insight. Even if you're an experienced Bible reader and you get through the Bible regularly, faithfully, this will give you some new insight in the Scripture. And while I believe that these benefits exist and they're so great that they will actually produce good results in us, and so I put the plan together, I did the work of of doing all of this, I want to warn you in conclusion about some dangers that exist with any type of system. I love you too much 
to just say, here's something to go do and not give you the warnings about the pitfalls that exist along it. I don't want you to miss the goal of having the joy that comes from growing and flourishing in godliness. So here are the dangers to guard against. Whether you use this plan, which I encourage you to do, or you choose a different plan, that's fine. But the first danger to avoid with any system like this is the danger of formality and carelessness. Any spiritual discipline can just become something we do because we were told to do it. And if you ever find yourself thinking, well, God must love me more, or God must be more forgiving towards me because I've been really doing really well in my disciplines, you've missed the point of them entirely. This is what the Bible warns against when it tells us not to be the type of people who have the appearance of godliness but are denying its power. You and I are said to avoid such people. Don't be that type of person who does the good, right thing on the outside but isn't getting the spiritual benefit, not living in the joy and the flourishing it's designed to produce. The reading plan is designed to help you hear from God through his word, but if it all it becomes to you is a to-do item and they're just words on a page that you're skidding through so you can check the box next to it, You've missed the point. Formality and carelessness will rob you of joy instead of producing it. So guard against this. Push against the temptation to be careless or become merely formal in your reading. Ask God to help you hear from him each day as you read the scriptures and talk with others so they can encourage you as you read the scriptures. The second danger we need to avoid is seeing this as a burden. Having a plan like this will inherently put some pressure in your life. I believe it's a good pressure because it pushes against our natural tendency to be self-absorbed and sinfully negligent of reading the Word of God, which many of us, if we're honest, on our own, we are. So if you're not coming always back to the goal, reminding yourself that you should undertake this to experience the joy that comes from flourishing godliness, you're going to be tempted at some point to see this as a burden. The days I hate the most going out and trying to pull the weeds out of the garden in the summer are the days where I'm not thinking at all about the goal, I'm just thinking about the here and now. I could stay inside where it's nice and cool. I could read a book. I could do these other things. If I'm thinking only about that, I don't want to go out to the garden. But if I remember, come harvest time, if I've put in the work in the garden, the result will be better. The flourishing will be better. I'm more willing to go do the work now. It's not a burden. It's a purposeful act. And so I want to encourage you, let the pressure of the plan push you out of your natural complacency into good discipline, but don't let it become a burden. If it does, you will not find the joy that God intends for you. So guard your heart well, be praying against this. And finally, the last danger I want to mention is the danger of becoming self-righteous in your success. You and I, we're so fallen as human creatures that we can even turn spiritual disciplines like reading the scripture regularly into a way of thinking we're something more than we really are and weirdly seeing it as some way of storing up good works that makes God love us better. For some people, the issue with doing stuff like this is that they view the disciplines not as means to an end, but they view them as sacraments that earn God's favor for them. And if you find your heart, you find your thoughts going that way, thinking that what you're doing is earning God's love or forgiveness or whatever, remember, any growth you obtain through this is a result of God's grace in your life. Don't think that success in following this plan replaces your need for God's grace and mercy in your life. So knowing all the benefits and seeing all of the dangers, I still believe it's worth us all engaging in this spiritual discipline together. So I'm going to encourage you to take page one of the Bible reading plan. It's at the resource center today. Malia folded them up into a fourfold, so it's going to fit nicely into your Bible. When you flip it, you're going to see there's there's my, my five weeks ready to go and each five days under the week. 
I'll put a digital version of this on the website for you if you want to download it. I'm going to encourage you, have it physical because we are going to move around a little bit. It's not just I'm going to read the next page tomorrow, so I don't need to look at the plan. You're going to need to see where to go. So I would encourage you, have it printed, put it in your Bible. But if you want a digital copy or you're out somewhere and want to read it on your phone, I'll make it available that way for you as well. In about 14 weeks, I'm going to put out page two. And that's going to cover the next 15 weeks of reading. And we're going to engage in all of those together. And we're just going to continue this rhythm for the next two years together. Look, I love you all, and I want you to succeed, and my heart as we head into this new year is that all of us would have the joy that comes with flourishing in godliness, and to get there, we're going to have to do a bit of work. So I long that for each of you, especially for those of you who are members of the church body, and I'm aware we're a little past, and we've got just one more thing to do before we dismiss this morning. It's something to celebrate. The Bible refers to you, the members of this church, as the flock of God, that have been charged to my care as your pastor. And just as Jesus, the good shepherd, loves you and cares for you and wants to see you flourish, that's what I want for you as well. And part of that is what you're going to do outside of this room. Part of that is the commitment you're going to make to this place and to these people. Being a part of this church is a great blessing, and it gives us an opportunity to grow together, which leads me to how we'll end this morning. Last January, I gave you a definition of church membership that I hope has stuck at least in the back of your mind like you know it exists, and you could, you could go to the website and look it up, all right? Church membership is this, a covenant between a local church and a Christian with the church committing to spiritual oversight, discipleship, and care for the Christian, and the Christian committing to serving, submitting to, and investing in the local church and its mission. So I intended for us to actually end 2020 celebrating this, but because of COVID and sitting in my little room looking out the window... We get to start the new year celebrating this morning. We have three individuals who have gone through our membership application process and are here this morning to commit themselves to this local church body formally. Mike and Lisa Irvine, if you will come and join us this morning up here, and my son, Tobiah Jesh. These individuals are coming to stand before you and commit before you that they want to be part of this local church as members. Each of these three are trusting in Christ alone for their salvation. They've received that salvation. They know that there's great value and benefit in joining formally with other believers to receive care and to be part of the community. And so the commitment that these three are making is that they affirm and support our church's mission and our core values. They're committing to following the leadership and spiritual oversight of this church. They're committing to pray for and support and be involved in gathering with and serving in this local church body. They know the scriptures tell them that joining the local church and being accountable to spiritual leadership is a good thing for them. It should produce joy in them and joy in the life of the church. Hebrews 13, 17 tells us, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There's an advantage that comes from being in a healthy church, and I believe this is a healthy church. So this morning, I'm going to make a commitment to them as they make a commitment to this church. As the pastor here, I'm going to live out my duty to them. In 1 Peter 5, I'm told to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you do. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So my job as the pastor here is to be an example for these three and for their families to care for them as a shepherd would care for sheep, to give oversight and counsel and leadership to them so that God would bless them and grow each one of them and they would have great joy as they follow Christ and serve him daily. 
And you as a church are going to make a commitment to them as well. You, the current members of Nelsonville Assembly, are saying that you will work to provide discipleship opportunities. You will care for them. You will love these three individuals who are standing here today to become part of this body formally. So today, Mike and Lisa are standing here to be full active members of our church body. My son, Tobiah, is standing here to become a junior member of the church body. He's been asking me for over a year, Dad, when can I become a member of the church? He wanted to know what the process is like. And today, we're finally finishing the process. So if you're a member of the church of Nelsonville Assembly, would you stand with me this morning to accept these three into this body as we prepare to pray over them? Wonderful. The rest of you who may not be members of the church, I'll invite you, if you want to stand with us and join us in prayer this morning, we're going to close by praying over all three of these individuals that the Lord God would bless them and that he would bless our church body as together we seek to grow in the joy of flourishing that he has for us. Amen? Join me in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to gather this morning and to celebrate, particularly in this moment, these three individuals who you have called to be part of this church family. Thank you for Tobiah and for Lisa and for Mike, and I pray, Lord, that your blessings would rest upon them as they step forward this morning to commit themselves to this body, to this church family. I pray, Lord, that you would bring great benefit to their own spiritual lives that you would use us as the believers who have assembled here and committed to this place, that you, Lord, would use us to encourage them and to disciple them and to love them well, and that, Lord, you would bless this body with the unique gifts and talents that they all bring to serve here. We thank you for the chance to worship you today. We thank you for the chance to pray to you this morning, and we thank you for these three lives here and ask your blessing to be upon each one of them. We thank you for this wonderful gift that you have given us. And everyone together said, Amen. Amen. Amen.